My name is David Wing, and I've had the honor of pastoring the Dover Foursquare Church for almost 25 years. We have targeted our gatherings to minister to the Lord, the saints, and the world. First, through singing, praise, and receiving the word, we pursue ministering to Him. Second, we pursue interactive involvement with each person present. Fellowship before and after the service helps, but each believer must be personally involved if he is to become equipped to fulfill his role as an agent of Jesus in life's marketplace. We want to be a congregation that gives place to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We want to be a congregation committed to the systematic and edifying teaching of God's Word. We want to be a congregation devoted to the exercise of Holy Spirit-inspired worship. It is our prayer that the message you hear today will assist you in realizing the possibilities God has for you and that your journey with him will be one of abundance amen lord is good we just got back from convention ourselves my wife and family were able to go to columbus and it was a beautiful time to see all the people gathered there were people from every nation there there were pastors my wife and i had a chance uh, to speak with a number of the spanish speaking the hispanic pastors there and it was just a a real blessed time for us and time of refreshing Um, It was beautiful also just to see the word that God was giving. There were several words that stuck out in my heart and mind as as they were sharing. Uh, The one thought that was interesting was, you know, last week when when Pastor Dennis Shear was sharing, he gave the thought to us that uh, concerning the woman at the well, and that was her window of opportunity. She almost missed it, but she got that window of opportunity and how God many times has a window of opportunity right before us in some of the situations that we're going through and times you wouldn't expect it. And uh, it was interesting that right in the very first meeting and convention, when the president of the Four Square Church uh, stood up and shared, his very words were the same things from the story of the woman on the well and windows of opportunity and what God wants to do. So, you know, God just goes on speaking. And uh, it was precious to hear and to see the things that are happening and uh, testimonies. It was just awesome to see what God was doing there. I'd like to share, if we can, uh, from 1 Samuel. If you'll turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel. And uh, this is actually a, a, something that's been kind of dear to my heart. This, in these past few weeks, we've been doing this in children's church, talking about Samuel and, and uh, teaching the children that story. And uh, God has spoken to me a number of ways and at different times through the life of Samuel. Let me give you a little bit of background to this. Um, Samuel begins a time of shifting in the uh, lives of God's people in the Old Testament, the Israelites. It's a time of shifting that took place. Because prior to the book of 1 Samuel, uh, for about 450 years, it was God had ruled his people or led his people by judges. Now, not, not a judge who comes in with a wig and a hammer on a, you know, and all that kind of a thing, but a judge in the Old Testament was literally an ordinary person of any walk of life that God would just choose sovereignly to pour his spirit upon. And the moment he would pour his spirit upon that person, that person was able to do supernatural things and supernatural wisdom to lead the Israelites into battle against their enemies and so on. One of those, uh, one of those uh, judges was Samson. How many of you know, remember about Samson? Right? How he was able, he took a jawbone of a donkey and killed several thousand men. And then he, uh, one, they thought they had Samson all, uh, captured within a city. Well, in the middle of the night, he rose up, took the whole gates of the city on his shoulder and carried it up to the hill. You know, in most of your children's books, when you look, 
uh, at the pictures, the, day, the cartoon pictures of Samson, usually you see this big burly guy with muscles bulging out all sides. This is Samson, mighty Samson, you know, like a Mr. Universe or something like that. Like he was working, pumping iron with uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger or something, you know. But my feeling about that is that that's really a wrong picture. I believe Samson was just some skinny little fella. Could have been skinny, could have been short. I don't think he had any natural strength. But when the Spirit of God came on him, he was able to do supernatural things. Amen? So that's the book of Judges. But Judges is really kind of a sad book because, in fact, the very last verse in the book of Judges is kind of like the portrayal of what took place. It says, there was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. There was no real leadership. Even though people were raised up, the Israelites would go right back to what they were doing after that person was out of the picture. And the book of Judges shows a sad time of Israel's history. And they served their enemies a good number of those years they were in the land of Canaan. But Samuel, in the book of 1 Samuel, things are about to change. And that change took place because of what God was able to do in a little boy named Samuel. Samuel is known as... Uh, although you don't read it specifically in the Bible, what we do understand is that somehow he must, historians agree that somehow he must have started some kind of a school of prophets. And many of those prophets later on developed, were, were instrumental in, in speaking a word uh, to the kings or to, the, or, or to key influential people and bringing change and bringing Israel out of uh, situations they could have uh, been in for many years. And God used Samuel to start that, what we could call as a school of prophets. So my, The title of my message is uh, Samuel and Company, and today we're going to see if we can become part of Samuel's School of Prophets. How many would like to join? (laughs) We'll see what it all entails. But what took place here in Samuel's life? Samuel was a a young boy. Uh, His mother had been barren. She was unable to have children for years, and it was a heartache for her. And she cried out to the Lord, and, and she, she wanted to have a child. It was an embarrassment for her, uh, and especially in those days in which they lived. And she was in a difficult situation. You know, if you read in the Bible, many of the important men of God that God used were born in situations like that, weren't they? Even Abraham and Sarah, barren for years. At the right time. How many know God has the right time? <laughs> well, Hannah, she, was, uh, she finally went up to the temple to pray, to cry out to God. And while she was in the temple, while she was in the temple, uh, the priest at that time, now, actually there wasn't a temple like Solomon's temple. At that time, it was called the Tabernacle of Moses. We read about it in the book of Exodus. And that tent or that tent of meeting for the people was in a place called Shiloh, and that's where the priests ministered. Now, for years, the, the ministry was going on. It was going on. It looked from the outward, it looked like everything was going fine. But it says clearly, and if we can put 1 Samuel chapter 3 up, 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 1, what we see is that in those days, there was Samuel. We'll see about him in just a minute. But the last part of the verse says, and the word of the Lord was precious, or another way to translate that would be was rare, scarce. 
There was no open vision. It was a time that for years Israel hadn't really gotten a word from God. The people of God hadn't really heard directly from the Lord. The ministry was going on. Everything was functioning. It looked okay on the outside. But people weren't hearing from God. Do you realize it's possible to be in church Sunday after Sunday and never really hear from the Lord? Is that possible? See? How many find yourself sometimes in the middle of a meeting right when the message is getting really good and you're thinking about fried chicken after church? <laughs> I remember hearing one brother, he was sharing how, you know, during the song service, at that time, in the meeting we had there was actually in a house and they had the kitchen that was going to serve a meal afterwards and the kitchen was right down uh, below from the sanctuary. And uh, during the song service, this brother started smelling fried chicken. And during, and he, he, oh, he loves fried chicken. So he was sharing, he's, he's from uh, uh, South Carolina, you know, he loves his fried chicken. And, and, and he was smelling that chicken during the worship service, and boy, his hands went higher, and his face got a bigger smile, and he was just really praising God. And all of a sudden, he heard God say, um, are you praising me or fried chicken? <laughs> so easy to go through the motions of things. That's what we want to see today, is this development in Samuel's life. Because at this time in Israel's history, it was, it was, people were doing what was right in their own eyes. Just whatever felt good, they were doing it. How many can relate to that kind of lifestyle people are living today in the world? You see? But there's a time of transition and as after Samuel, that they begin to have kings and, and begin to become established kingdom. So Samuel was key in this. And so Hannah had gone to the tabernacle to, to cry out to God for a child. And while she was there, she was, she was just kneeling down. The Bible says she wasn't really speaking out loud, but her lips were moving. And Eli, who was the priest at this time, uh, we had fun with this in our children's church. When I, uh, I dressed up like Eli. I put about 10 pillows in my stomach. and Because the Bible says Eli was really fat. And, uh, and just Eli, you know, he was doing his job, but his heart wasn't really there. And his sons were a mess. His sons were doing all kinds of wicked things. And he would, say, he would say to his sons, oh, that's not a very good thing that you're doing. But he would never correct the situation. It was a real mess that Israel was in. So Eli came over, he's all, you know, and he sees this woman there with her lips moving. And he has no discernment, no ability to understand what was actually happening to that woman. And he comes over, he says, woman, why are you drunk in the house of God? Get your, take your drunkenness out of here. And he's, he's scolding this woman who was really there weeping and crying because she wanted God to answer her petition. And she looked at Eli. Now, she could have really got upset and said, I'm not coming back to your church anymore. <laughs> she didn't do that. She looked up and she said, sir, my heart is broken. I'm not drunk. My heart is broken. And she told him that she wanted a child. And so Eli, all of a sudden, and this is amazing, even though this man was totally out of the, of, of, of the purpose of God, in essence, he was still doing that duty. And he spoke to her. He said, Hannah, he said, this time next year you're going to have a son. And he went back and lay down again. And she went home. She believed the words. She believed that word. And that time next year, she had a child. And that little boy was Samuel. Now, Hannah was so excited that God had answered that prayer. She was so uh, excited and so appreciated what God had done that she took that boy and she dedicated him 
to the Lord. That's the first place in the Bible where we see a, a, a mother actually dedicating a child to the Lord. But it's not like a child dedication we have here where the, I love it, Pastor, Pastor Wing, he carries the child all throughout the church. Boy, that's, that's brave. <laughs> And uh, it's beautiful to see those children dedications. But the fact is, a child dedication at that time, it was way beyond anything we could ever imagine. She literally took her child when he was old enough. She took him to the tabernacle and said, Eli, this boy is the Lord's. And she went home. She left him there. That's total dedication, right? (laughs) And imagine, what a situation. Well, Samuel grew up in the house of the Lord, or in that tabernacle environment. And what I wanted to do, I wanted just to kind of divide this message up, if I can, into simple, four simple parts and relating to Samuel's experience. And I want us to believe that God can bring us through these same experiences to use us and the song we were singing earlier, uh, these are the days of Elijah, the days when we begin to proclaim the word of the Lord. I believe these are times, and, and we are a peculiar people. I like that expression, Don used. It says that. It says we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a people that can proclaim the word of the Lord. But it's not just a matter of going out and you know, reading verses somewhere on a, on, on a corner of a block. Proclaiming the word, we need to first have that word put in our mouth. And we're going to see the development that took place in Samuel's life and see if God can bring us into that same situation. So I want to talk, the first point I want to bring up is about Samuel's feats. I'll explain that in a minute. Just keep that in your mind. Second point I want to bring up is Samuel's ears. We'll talk about that. Third thing I want to point out is Samuel's heart. Something took place. And finally, Samuel's mouth. So his feet, his ears, his heart, in his mouth. I don't have a PowerPoint, so you've got to keep those points mentally in your head here, okay? But talking first of all about Samuel's ability to hear. If you read here in 1 Samuel chapter 3, and if we go to verse 4, remember Samuel slept right near the Ark of the Covenant, where the Ark was, the Bible says. He was sleeping right there. And I don't know where Eli slept. He had his usual place of sleeping also, but it wasn't that close to God. I think Eli probably felt a little bit uh, uh, fearful of getting that close to God. He knew things weren't quite right. And that appears later on. But Samuel... A little child now. He's not, I don't think he's probably more than maybe five, maybe six years old. He's very young. It's, he's called a child in the scripture. It says, the, it says in verse 4 of 1 Samuel chapter 3, it says, Samuel, uh, the Lord called Samuel. And what does Samuel say? Here am I. Can you say that with me? Here am I. In verse 5. What does he do next? And he ran unto Eli. Well, that's strange, isn't it? And he said, here am I. So wherever Eli was, Samuel got up, ran all the way to where Eli was sleeping, his usual place of sleeping, the Bible says. And he said, Eli, here I am, for you called me. Eli wakes up. We had fun with this in children's church, too. Oh, I was having a good sleep there. What are you waking me up for, kid? And he says, go. I didn't call you. Go back to bed. So Samuel, he goes, okay, he walks back to his bed, lies down and sleeps again. And in a few more moments, he hears his name, Samuel. He jumps up and he says, here am I. And he runs over to Eli again, Eli, Eli, here I am, you called me. 
Eli was getting really upset at this point in time. He says, son, I didn't call you. Get back to bed. You're having bad dreams. Samuel goes back to his bed, lays down again, and the Lord calls him again. Samuel. What does Samuel do? He gets up and he runs to Eli the third time. What I want to point out, first of all, before we go further in the story, is what he did. It says he ran unto Eli. Something had been instilled in Samuel's life. Something precious had been deposited there. I don't know if it was through his mother, maybe in that dedication as a child. And I believe we should dedicate our children to the Lord. How many believe that? And it's not just a one-time thing in church. Well, I did that. That's over with. Now let's get on. No, every day, present your children to the Lord. Present your children to the Lord. And, but something was instilled in Samuel's life where he had learned about obedience and quick obedience. You know, when our children, uh, excuse me, when my son got, I uh, was four years old, four or five years, probably about four years old, uh, my wife and I decided we better figure out what this child raising is all about. <laughs> and we realized we didn't know what we were doing. So we began to get books and someone gave us a tape series. I think we, I listened to that tape series so many times. Uh, and, and just different, whatever we could do to, to raise our children the right, right way. Because we realized that's an important responsibility God has given to us, isn't it? How many parents can agree with me? How many parents agree with me? Grandparents, I mean. Yeah. And, and so we, and one of these stories that really, the story of Samuel blessed me and my wife. And we thought, well, let's, let's do this with our son. Uh, let's teach him about Samuel. So we read this story to him. And you say, now, you see how Samuel ran? And how many times did God call him? One time? How many parents are guilty? Don't raise your hand here, but how many of you have been guilty by saying, I'm going to count to f- four? <laughs> okay, there we go. I'm going to count to four, and you better be here. And we start counting. They don't come. Okay, now I'm going to count to three. And you be- it doesn't work, does it? Samuel answered the first time. And we thought, let's train our son, our children. And my son's here now, so he, I don't know if he remembers this, but we thought we'd make a little game out of this. So we would say, now we're going to call you, David. We're going to call you. And when we call you, you come running right away and you say, yes, mommy, yes, daddy. Just like that, okay? He says, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he'd go over and play for a little bit. We wait till he got a little distracted. Then we'd walk over in this other part of the room. We would say, David. And first few times, he didn't quite get it. Well, what do you want? You know, I don't understand. And we said, now don't forget what we told you about Samuel. When Samuel heard the Lord calling, he ran. So you run. So we had him run over to us and say, now go back and play. We'll try this again. We said, David. And he goes, oh. And he comes over running. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, mommy. Yes, daddy. Okay, we're just testing you. You go back and play now. A few more minutes go on and we kind of watch and see until he's distracted. We say, okay, let's try it again. David, he remembered, he runs over to us and says, yes, daddy, yes, mommy. We did that a few times. We would do that for several days. And Abigail would have been about two years old at that time. And she just followed along with him. You know, she'd, she didn't know what was going on. But, but the idea we wanted, we realized how important it is to, to teach children obedience. It's not going to save them. The most perfect, obedient child's not going to go automatically to heaven. They still need to get saved, don't they? But obedience does something and prepares something in their hearts. That's why it's so important. In fact, if you look with me in, in, uh, look with me in Deuteronomy chapter 6, <coughs> excuse me, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting with verse 4, 
This is a very important scripture to any Jewish person. They have it written on their doors. This whole portion of scripture is very important. Let's read it together. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Verse 5. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul. How many remember that portion of scripture, right? Yeah, Jesus quoted that, didn't he? But the rest of it goes right along with it. How do we love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, and strength? How do we do that? Well, verse 5, I'm sorry, verse 6. And these words, read this with me. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Well, how do you know if they're in your heart? Verse 7, because this is what you'll do as a parent. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way and when thou liest down and when thou risest up. Just think about that for a minute. Is there any part of your life that's excluded from that portion of Scripture? That's everything, isn't it? Waking up, going to bed, walking and sitting. That's everything, all included. When should we talk to our children from, from the Scriptures? Well, it tells you right there. So important to train... Proverbs 22, verse verse 6, it says, Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, what is it? He shall not depart from it. That training is absolutely important for us. And, and especially as parents, if we, if we relate a little bit to the story of the, of the time, of the, uh, that dismal time of the judges where, where, where everybody was just doing what was right in their own eyes. God is looking for some people that can train children, or those children can grow up and be the Samuels of the generation this world needs to see. Can you say amen to that? We need to discern the times. You know, and, and how do you train children? Well, there's a lot of books out there, but I tell you what, if it's not based on this book, probably not worth reading. A lot of neat ideas out there, but if it doesn't have a basis here, probably not worth reading. What do you say to that? You agree? God, because God knows more what our children need. Well, society is different today. No, it isn't. Solomon says that in Ecclesiastes. It's the, whatever has been shall be. It's all the same. This goes around in a circle. That's all it is. Can you say amen? My dad had a flat top. I went through the 70s with long hair. Now I got a flat top. See, it's all the same thing. Okay, so this situation with Samuel is that he had learned obedience. He had learned to run. He had learned to obey the Lord. So important. And uh, I'd like to go to the next point. Uh, Just mentally picture in your mind, we talked about his feet. He learned obedience. Next point is his ears. Let me share something about this. When Samuel heard the voice of God, and it's interesting, if you, if you look at, if you can put 1 Samuel 3.10 there for me real quick. In 1 Samuel 3.10, it says this, and we're jumping ahead just a minute because I want you to see one expression. Hey, Samuel's ears are up there, that's cool. All right, 1 Samuel 3.10, it says, The Lord came and stood and called as at other times. Now, we'll just stop there for a minute. When God was calling Samuel's name. Where was the Lord? He wasn't high on a mountaintop shouting, was he? He was standing right there next to Samuel. In fact, one translation says he came and he stationed himself next to Samuel. He just, God positioned himself right there to speak because this was important. And 
the unique thing is that when Samuel heard his name and when he heard God speak it, where did Samuel run to? He ran to Eli. Why do you think he ran to Eli? Because it's to Samuel, it sounded like Eli's voice. His association to responding was associated to Eli. And I want to point out something important for us in our life also, is that God uses people to give us hearing tests. Now, it'd be nice if God would knock on your door and come and give you a special message each day and you could say, God spoke to me. That's that's really cool. That'd be really cool if God did that. But what does God choose to do? He chooses to use other people. Do you ever see that? I've just been so blessed in the book of Acts. You know, Jesus appears to Paul while he's on. Well, he's Saul at that time. But he appears to Saul and says, you know, Saul, Saul, why are you, you're persecuting me. And Saul says, who art thou, Lord? And Jesus says, I am Jesus. And Saul, is to- to- who became Paul, he's totally blinded. He can't see for three days. And at that point, God says to him, go to Ananias. And he'll tell you the next step. Isn't it interesting? God could have told him the next step right there, couldn't he? God could have given him the whole picture all at one time, couldn't he? But God said, go over to Ananias, and he's going to tell you the next steps. God uses people in our lives to take us to the next step. Sometimes we don't like the people God uses. He might even use a donkey like he did with Balaam. You know, uh, God used a donkey. It says God opened the mouth of that donkey in the book of Numbers. And donkey actually spoke with a man's voice and, and was scolding the prophet for disobeying God. And still, Balaam went and did his own thing. But the fact is God chooses to use people because he wants to deal with something down here. He wants to deal with a fundamental problem we have as humans, and that's the idea of being our own person, being independent, doing it ourselves, doing it our way. Who's, who sang that song? I, I'll do it. I did it my way. Has someone sang a song like that? And, and, or Burger King. How about Burger King? Have it your way, you know, all kind of a thing, right? So, but the fact is, God wants to deal with that. That's the very root inside. Now, even though we're saved And born again, washed in the blood. We sang today about being covered by the blood. Praise God for that. But how many realize there's still that little root down there that needs to be dealt with? Anybody have a problem with that? Anybody have a problem with anger once in a while when someone tells you to do something you don't want to do? Or they tell you in a way they should never talk to you like that? Oh, who do they think they are, you see? God has a way. Because he's trying to deal with something inside. Because he has a purpose for us. He wants to do something through us. So important to understand that. Samuel had learned to hear. He passed the hearing test. He had learned to hear God through Eli's voice. And when God came, God didn't have to speak from it with a trumpet sound like on Mount Sinai. God didn't have to, 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 to shout and holler, or fire and thunder and all of that. All God had to do was speak with a voice that Samuel had become very submissive and obedient to. That's a lesson to teach our children also. You see, they may think, well, you know, my parents, they're all messed up. Why do I have to listen to them? You know, or, or my parents are like this, or my, my friends don't obey. But, t- hey, listen, it's not me you're disobeying. 
It's the Lord. It's not me that you're disrespecting. Tell your children that. It's not me that you're disrespecting. It's not me that's upset. It's, 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 it's because there's the Lord involved here. The first commandment with promise. What is it? Honor your father and mother. That, that they, it may go well with you and that your life may be long on the earth. That's the promise. How many want things to go well with your children? You see, or your children's children? You want things to go well. This is a principle that's so important. Learning to hear. And let's take this into the New Testament, if you will. And look with me in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And uh, very interesting how Paul speaks to the Thessalonians here. I love this verse. And if, if we can grasp this, it can change our entire view of why we're here on Sundays. What are we doing here? What is, why do we do this thing called church? What's it all about? When if you can grasp the importance of hearing a word from God and what it can do in your life, church has a whole new meaning. It takes on a whole new understanding. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Read this with me. Paul is thanking God for the Thessalonians. Now, it's kind of interesting that it's the Thessalonians that he's speaking to. And I'll show you another verse in just a minute. Because prior to this writing of letter that Paul's doing, the Thessalonians didn't have, weren't quite that good. They, 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 weren't, they weren't, didn't quite have this quality that Paul is thanking them for now. But this is what Paul says, how he's thankful for the Thessalonians. Let's read it together. For this cause also, thank we God without ceasing, because... When you receive the word of God, and look at that next part, which ye heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. (laughs) Didn't quite fit up there. Back up to the previous screen there so we can see that other part there. The fact is is that when we receive the word, We heard a word last week from Pastor Dennis. Did you receive the word? It's one thing to hear, another thing to receive. Are we receiving the word? And when we do, when we take that word and we begin to apply faith to it, it works inside of us. It produces something inside of us. Can you say amen? Now, the Thessalonians weren't always like this. Look back in Acts 17, verse 11. In Acts chapter 17, verse 11, uh, God makes this comparison. And, and I would love to think that God could say this about us here in Dover Foursquare, uh, our church family. I'd love to think that God could say this about us. In Acts 17, in verse 11, Acts 17, 11, it says this. Now, it's making a comparison. Talking about a group of people that lived in the city of Berea. And it says, those, referring to those in Berea, the Berean church, those were more noble than those in Thessalonica because they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily to see if those things were so. God's comparing the Bereans with the Thessalonians, but it seems like later on the Thessalonians changed that reputation and they were able to receive the word also. This is what we see in the life of Samuel. Samuel knew how to hear the word. His ears were open to hear the word. Not just the word of men, but the word of God, that God would speak through someone. So important. So important. 
If you read in the book of Revelations, chapter 2 and chapter 3, there are seven churches that the Lord speaks to. And he, gives, he tells John, I want you to write something down. There's a message that's unique for each of these seven churches. Now, we always say, well, there's just one church. Well, yeah, there's one church, but there's lots of church families. How many, and this is how I feel, and I, since we've been here, it's only been, a, I guess, really a short time compared to many of you, but for us, it's a family. Do you feel that inside? It's not, not, not a social club, not a social club kind of, but there's a fa- something that unites us, and it's the word that unites us, the word. And so these seven different churches, and it's unique. If we read in Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, God says to John, write these words, John. And he gives John a specific revelation of Jesus to give to that church. And then he goes on, he says, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus, write these things. And then God, Jesus reveals himself in a unique way, a revelation of Jesus for that Ephesian church. And then that very message, that revelation of Jesus, by the way, the book of Revelation is not the, the revelation of John, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. If you read it carefully, that's really the title of that book. And that's what we see from chapter 1, 2, and 3. It's a revelation of Jesus. And Jesus reveals himself, and then from that revelation of himself, out of that comes a correction or or an encouragement or something that that specific church needs. And then if you look at verse 7, the message usually ends with these words. You'll see these sound sound very familiar. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 7 I got a teleprompter back there. See, I'm just reading all this. I had the same thing you see up here. Okay, it says this. He that hath, let's read this part together. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. See, not church singular, but churches, plural. That means church families. And then it goes right on to say to him that overcomes. And that's the way each message to each of those seven churches ends. After a specific revelation of Jesus is given to that church, then they are told to hear what the Spirit is saying. And if they hear, they'll be able to overcome. Now suppose you were a member of the Ephesian Foursquare Church, but that Sunday you just happened to be over in the Philadelphia and Laodicea Church. Not the one over in Pennsylvania, but the one over in, uh, I guess it's over in Turkey right now. But the Philadelphian Church... And you were over there listening to a message, and over there you heard a beautiful message. I mean, the way it was delivered, it was an awesome message in Philadelphia, in that Philadelphia four-square church, and you were hearing it, and the pastor was saying about how God's opened a door, and Jesus told us no man can close that door, and you're hearing that message, and you're encouraged by it, and you come back and say, whoa, I heard an awesome message over in Philadelphia. Uh, What did you hear here? Oh, we heard that we need to come back to our first love here in Ephesus wasn't too encouraging, kind of discouraging. We feel kind of like we need to repent. We, God told us to repent. Hey, oh, my message was better. I heard about an open door. and Boy, that's a good message. We've got to go over to the Philadelphia church. A better message over there. Okay, think about it just for a minute. This person that belongs to Ephesus, he heard the Philadelphian message, and it was a good message, but it wasn't for his church family, was it? Do you see the difference? Well, that was a good message. Nothing wrong with it. But he also needs to find out, well, what is God speaking to my church family? Okay, I heard an encouraging message about God opening doors over in Philadelphia. But if God is speaking to our church, our, my church family, about repentance, coming back to first, I better do it. I better do that, you see. And we begin to have a respect 
and an honor for what God is saying. That was the next step of preparation in Samuel's life. He learned to hear God speak through other people. So important. So important. And all of a sudden we realize, when we get ears like that, we realize it's not a matter of our cultural preference or our social preferences or, or even our geographical preferences as to where we go to church. We need to be in the place the Lord wants us to be. Does that make sense? You see? Then all of a sudden our attitude about church takes on a whole different perspective. If we're going to be the people in the school of the prophets of Samuel that can take the church into the next dispensation, next transition as a kingdom, which is what God has for the church today, then we need to be those people that are hearing the voice of God. Amen? Does that sound good? So we talked about Samuel's feet. Samuel knew how to run. Talked about Samuel's ears. He passed the hearing test. <laughs> so interesting. And I think it, I think it must have really been <clears throat> unique. Here God is standing right there uh, in front of Samuel and says, Samuel. And, what, and he's standing there watching while Samuel runs over to Eli. I don't know. I think God was kind of smiling when he saw that. What do you think? <laughs> Let me talk to you about the next stage in Samuel's life. And that's, we'll call it Samuel's heart. In 1 Samuel, going back to 1 Samuel chapter 3, and verse 8. 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 8. All this technology, I forget how to turn my pages. Okay. Remember years ago I saw a, a little cartoon and a boy's coming home from school and he says, Mommy and Daddy, guess what we saw in school today? The teacher was showing us some antiques. And the mom says, well, what were they? It was a pencil and paper. <laughs> the days we live in, right? Chapter 3, um, starting with verse 8. Now, this is the third. And I want to point out in verse 7. Uh, we can just back up to verse 7 real quick. First, first Samuel 3, verse 7. <clears throat> Because it points out here that Samuel didn't yet know the Lord. Now that's interesting. I mean, he was learning obedience. And many of our children, they don't maybe know the Lord, but we're training them for that time. But the important thing is for Samuel to get to a place where he can hear and have the word of the Lord revealed to him. What a difference that makes. In verse 8, here's how it happened. And what I'd like to explain, when we're talking about Samuel's heart, I'd like to explain that at this point in Samuel's life, when this decision on his part was made, something that was up here, all of a sudden, came down here. It was a head-to-heart transition. And it says in verse 8, The Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he arose and he went to Eli, and he said, Here am I. This is the third time he's done this now. Eli's very perturbed at this point. But it says that Eli finally, I mean, this, this guy is slow on catching up on spiritual matters. But finally, you know, remember how he told Hannah she was drunk? He, he just didn't get it, you know. All right. Well, Eli finally perceived that the Lord had called the child. A little bit slow after three times, isn't it? 
But at least Eli was able to give him one final word that made the entire difference in Samuel's life. In verse 9, Therefore, when Eli perceived this, Therefore Eli said unto Samuel, Go and lie down. And it shall be, if he call thee, that thou shalt say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. And Samuel went down and laid in his place. Let's say that, that word, those, those few words, that the instructions that Eli gave Samuel. Let's read that together. What is he supposed to say when the Lord calls him? Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. Let's say that one more time. Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. Well, verse 10. <coughs> In verse 10, the Lord calls him the fourth time. And when he calls, in verse 10, uh, it says, The Lord came and stood and called, as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And I don't think God's voice changed its quality or, or it sounded probably just the same as it had before. But there was a difference now in Samuel's understanding. And so Samuel responds, speak, for thy servant heareth. At that point, God was able to give the rest of the message to Samuel. And it was quite a sad message that he received. But I want to point something out, that, that the, the difference here, this head-to-heart transition. Actually, that's my own testimony of how I got saved. I had grown up in a Lutheran church, and my parents had raised me very well uh, in the sense that I, uh, I didn't drink or smoke or chew or go with boys that do, that kind of a thing. And, uh, but I wasn't saved. And somehow I got together, I, got, I ended up with some, some friends that, that were Christians, and they talked about it, and I saw the life, and I wanted it. I would uh, go to church with them, and I would see them praising God, and I, I, I did the same thing. And, and they, they would have an altar call and I would make, I would say the sinner's prayer. And I mean, they never, I never went forward. I they, at that point, they weren't calling anybody forward. But I would say that prayer and I would pray it every night, actually. But it was here. I don't know how exactly it went from here to here. But there was one night I had some questions and they answered a few questions. There was something that they said that opened my mind, just like what Eli did with Samuel. And all of a sudden I realized the response I give to the Lord. And that night I went home and I prayed and I said the same kind of words, but something was open down here. And when I asked Jesus to come inside, everything changed. Do you remember the day that happened to you? I was born again. Everything changed. There was another time also... <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, when I was, it was that, actually that same year, um, I had been witnessing to my parents, and maybe you know some of my testimony, but I was the first one to get saved in my family, and, and uh, uh, it was my senior year of high school, and they found that my dad had cancer. <coughs> Excuse me. And what happened that night when I found out my dad had cancer, and they said it was pretty serious, it was the first time I knew anything. It was a winter night. It was a, what happened in my heart that night, I can't quite describe to you, but I spent that whole night outside in the snow, walking up and down in a valley where I grew up. If anybody knows where Green Valley Golf Course is, I walked up and down that road, <laughs> just praying. It was a wintry night. I think it was like January of 77. 
And uh, I had another, I guess you could call it another transition from here to here. Because I knew what it says in the Bible. It says, Paul said to the Romans, he said, I beseech you, brethren, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable service. Why is it our reasonable service to give our bodies to serve God as a living sacrifice? Why is it a reasonable service? Well, that's what this table's all about. He gave his life for us, didn't he? He gave his whole life for us. And it's only reasonable. That night, I mean, I was reasonable up here before that night. I hadn't been saved very long, but I knew that verse. But that night, I realized, okay, my dad has cancer. It's not that that was so much impacting me. It was the fact that how much longer do I have to live? What am I going to do with my life? My grandpa had a favorite saying. You've heard it. He used to say it years ago. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done. Help me out with it. Only what's done for Christ will last. And that night, what was reasonable here all of a sudden became a reality here. And I realized serving God is just really no other option. I want to serve the Lord. And I didn't even know what that meant. <laughs> I didn't know if it meant going off to Africa and being a missionary or cleaning floors in some church building. I didn't have any idea what serving the Lord meant, but I knew I wanted to do it. This is what took place in Samuel's life. This is when the word of God came from a reasonableness up here to a reality. And this is not just a one-time experience This goes on happening in our lives. There's lots of ways the Lord speaks to us. Lots of words he gives us. And many times those messages just remain up here. We may have to hear it. God had to call Samuel three times before, actually four times before he got it. Nothing wrong with hearing the same message more than one time, is there? That's because it doesn't automatically get here. We need to respond in a very specific way. How did Samuel respond? Can you say it with me? Speak, for thy servant heareth. Makes all the difference when we respond like that. Look at Mary, when the angel came to her and said, you're going to have a child. She's, she couldn't just, me, how can I have it? That's not possible. Nothing is impossible with the Lord. But she made a declaration to the Lord. She said, be it unto me. She said, first of all, behold the handmaiden of the Lord. Be it unto me according to thy word. And that became a reality in her life also. And just like that, each word God gives us when we take a hold of it. Coming to church and just hearing a good message is wonderful. You may even decide it might be good to do that once in a while. It might be good to do what the pastor told us to. But there's a difference whenever you say, Your servant is listening. All of a sudden, that message becomes a reality that can change everything about you. Let me just take you to one final point here. And 
We mentioned about his feet. Samuel knew how to run the first time, not on the count of three or five, the first time. Samuel had ears to hear. Didn't matter. And if anybody could have criticized uh, the one speaking to him, it would have been Samuel. Eli's own sons didn't listen to him. Why should Samuel listen? But Samuel... And, and, you know, when God is using somebody, it's so easy. The devil makes it so easy for us to criticize the person God is using. Makes it so easy. Because the devil doesn't want this to reach this. He doesn't want the reasonableness of the message to reach the reality in the heart. But Samuel didn't do that. He had ears. He passed the hearing test. This transition to his heart, the third point, from here to here, took place in Samuel's life. But I want to read the last couple of verses in Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 3, starting with verse 19 to the end of the chapter. 1 Samuel 3, 19. This is where we see what took place in Samuel's life. Let's see, is it there? Well, it starts off in verse 19. It says, And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him. And God did not allow any of Samuel's words to fall to the ground. The next verse. And all of Israel, from Dan even to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established to be a prophet of the Lord. Verse 21. And the Lord appeared again in Shiloh. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. So it wasn't just that one experience that Samuel had. There were many other experiences where he had to return to the Lord and say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. It was an ongoing experience. But the thing I want to point out, back to verse 19 again. The thing I want to show you in verse 19 is that Samuel became a mouthpiece for the Lord. God was able to put his word in Samuel's mouth. You look at verse 19 again. And Samuel grew. It says, and the Lord did not let any of his words fall to the ground. This is what God wanted to affect to bring about this transition from a time of judges that it seems like our whole world is in. Everybody doing what's right in their own eyes. Even in many churches, just people doing whatever they feel good about doing. Whatever's convenient to do to a place where there's a new kind of a structure and an order where the people of God are becoming the mouthpieces for the Lord. Like I mentioned, Samuel began a school of prophets. I've actually, I was online last night and I was looking up, I was looking up the, the school of prophets at Samuel, just seeing what was written. And there's all kinds of ministries called the school of prophets and there's four-year colleges, the school, school of prophets. And, but I kind of have an idea, I kind of have a feeling that the school of prophets that Samuel started had nothing to do with getting credits in college. <laughs> I think when all the students gathered in his classroom and Samuel came out, all the prospective uh, prophets-to-be are sitting there waiting to hear their fir- first class in the school of prophecy. And Samuel comes out, he goes, I'm going to give you your first and your last assignment for the rest of your life. When God speaks, here's what you say. <laughs> That's all they had to learn. Is how to say, speak, Lord. Can you say that with me again? Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. God can bring us into that school of, the Samuel school of prophets, 
where we can learn that one all-important lesson. Let me just give you two more promises, then we're going to have the Lord's table here. But in Isaiah 59, there's a new covenant provision for our lives. Because God is looking for a people. Isaiah 59, a peculiar people. Ordinary people he can pour his spirit upon. Isaiah 59, verse 21. This is the new covenant provision that you and I can claim. Verse 21, let's read it together. As for me, this is my covenant with them, saith the Lord. My spirit that is upon thee and my words which I have put in thy mouth. Let me stop there for a minute. This is spoken to Jesus. This is a covenant the Father is making with his own son, Jesus Christ. That's what this is about. This is a prophecy about Christ. Now, when Jesus came, were his words powerful? Yeah, one centurion understood that. And he said, listen, you don't need to come into my house, Jesus. Speak the word only, and my servant will be healed. Was there authority in the words of Jesus? Sure was. Was the spirit upon Jesus? John, and Gospel of John, it says, he that speaks the words of God, God has chosen and called, and God has given him the spirit without measure. That's what it says in John 3.34. But right here, this is a prophecy to Jesus. But it doesn't stop with him. It says this, My spirit that is upon thee and my words which I have put in thy mouth, Jesus, shall not depart out of thy mouth, nor out of the mouth of thy... You and I are of the seed of Jesus. When we step into what Samuel stepped into, we enter into that seed of Jesus. That new covenant provision becomes real for us. How many would like to have... Jesus put words in your mouth that you can speak to people around you and can bring about change in their lives. Finally, Isaiah 50. Isaiah 50. Another promise. And again, this is actually spoken first of all to Jesus. He's our forerunner. But it's also for you and I. Isaiah 50. Um, can we put that in the New American Standard? comes out a little bit differently. This is Isaiah 50, verse 4. See if it transitions to us. Doesn't. No, it didn't change yet, no. Well, we'll read it as it is here, and I'll explain. In New American Standard, instead of the word learned, it's the word learned, though it's the word disciple. There we go. Let's read it together. The Lord God has given me the tongue of a disciple's that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. He awakens me morning by morning. He, whoops, a little too fast. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. Think about that just for me. Look at that verse. This is for you and I. How many know that there are weary people around you? There are weary people, tired and they're like, there are Christians that are weary. Would you like God to use you to speak a word to the weary? Not just nice words. Nice words are nice. We're talking about an anointed word that will bring them out of that weariness and change their life. Would you like to be used by God like that? Well, this is a promise for us. If, and it all begins when we let that reasonableness sink into our heart and become reality by responding to God 
Not by saying, hey God, that was a nice message, but rather, speak, Lord. What's the rest of it? For your servant is listening. Servant. Behold, a servant, your servant, Lord. Here I am. Let's all prepare our hearts for the Lord's table today because it's right here in this celebration where we remember what Christ did for us. Bible says to have the same mind that was in you, that was in Christ Jesus, that although he was equal with God, he was God, yet he humbled himself, made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus did that for us. Isn't it reasonable that we should follow in his steps? Isn't it reasonable that we should give our bodies as a living sacrifice? Things totally change whenever we understand the gospel message as not just, thank God I'm forgiven and I can go my way, but rather, he died for me. Let me give my life fully back to him. If men can come for the communion, the Lord's table is a celebration of what Christ did for us. He partook of the bread. He partook of the cup. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. So as we partake today, I believe these, there's nothing special about these elements in themselves. They don't contain anything unique. But the celebration of the cross contains power to change us. Would you like to receive that today? Amen. Amen. And that night he took the bread and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat. His body is now the church. And it almost seems in some ways that the church is still in pieces. But he can use you and I to be the common denominator and bring pieces back together. When we understand what he did, how much he loves the church. Let's partake of the bread today. Remembering that broken body. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. Thank you, Lord, for your body that was broken. On that same night, Jesus took the cup. He said, this is the New Testament or 
Another way to translate that would be the new covenant that is in my blood. The new covenant is far more than just forgiveness of sins as we saw today. It's even the provision of an unlimited amount of God's spirit upon our lives. The creative word of God placed within our mouth. The new covenant provides for every aspect of our lives to change us, to transform us, to make us into all that God wants us to be. There's power in a new covenant. And it's the blood of Jesus that validated that covenant for you and I. Without the shedding of the blood, it would have never happened. He took the cup and he said, as often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. Thank the Lord for the precious blood today. Power, as we sang earlier, when he sees the blood, he passes over. Hallelujah. Let's partake of this cup today. Celebration of the cross. Celebration. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. Let's all stand. Father, we thank you today, Lord, for this new covenant provision. We thank you today for this new covenant provision, Lord, that you're going to put your word in our mouth. You're going to put your spirit upon us. That same word that was in the mouth of Jesus, same word that was in his mouth, a word that can transform, a word that can sustain, encourage, and strengthen the weary. Lord, we want to be used by you today, Lord. We want to belong to that school of prophets. And so, Lord, we begin today in this celebration of the cross, what Christ did for us. Today, Lord, we want to celebrate and we want to say to you today, Lord, we give our bodies to you as a living sacrifice. Speak, Lord, for your servants right here in Dover Four Square. We're listening. Speak, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for 
the work you're going to do in these days. These are wonderful days. Days of Elijah, days of revival, days of shifting, days of transition, days where, God, you're going to do a thing like you've never done before. It's going to surprise all of us, and we thank you for it, Lord. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you for your interest in the Dover Foursquare Church. My prayer wish is that you have felt the presence of the Holy Spirit. It is our desire that our preaching and leading the congregation will always be word-centered and applicable to life. It is our desire that our worship be the pathway unto further transformation into the likeness of Jesus. With everything we do, our prayer is that we will rest in God's love and Christ's mighty work on the cross. We are blessed with a loving pastoral staff. Chris and Anna Ewing are pastors of our youth ministries. David and Marietta Slentz are pastors of our children's ministries. Our staff is eager to relate truth to life. All of the ministries interrelate, and we desire to give place to the flow of God's grace at all times. Our church address is 302 East Slingluff Avenue, Dover, Ohio. And our church phone number is 330-343-6142. Our website address is www.doverfoursquare.org.